I'm curious. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we started the podcast talking about Abigail. Just it was her birthday, and uh, I thought that would, you know make a she'd get a kick out of it. Yeah, did she listened to it. You know? She did. She's listened to it multiple times. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah. <laughs> she loves it. But she's made she's made this podcast like the girls always just loved listening to podcasts. Uh-huh. And this is this is now been one of the ones that she just puts on rotation so oh, very nice. cool. yeah she jumps into the branch she she has a theological mind and i like she just I love it yeah. she asked hard questions so i'm like sometimes I'm like stop asking questions <laughs> but yeah does she does she talk to you about stuff that ever arises in these conversations yep yeah that's yeah cool. yeah so uh the biggest questions like that she's asked recently um i'm trying to remember one of the ones she just asked me recently she she wants to know about heaven and hell Mm-hmm. Um, don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> she wants to know about like, um, about like what God's like and things like that. Um, she came to me the other day, she was talking about one of the, one of the courses at school was about, um, the story of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. So it was the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is the, the flood narrative right. out of Babylon. She's like, I was mortified is what she said to me. She's like, I told them like that's not true. That was no. Like, <laughs> she stood up and started preaching. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, technically, <laughs> that's awesome, man. It's, yeah, she, she has that conviction. That's yeah, great. yeah, yeah. A couple of my sons listen to the podcast and love it, um, which is always interesting because it, it does make you a little bit more aware, like <laughs> of what like, you say, yeah, yeah, what you're going to say, and what topics you're going to choose. Because you're like, my kids are going to listen, and I'll say that even on Sunday. Now my my youngest my daughter's sits in on service on Sunday. Yeah. And it's funny when I I'll get done and she'll come up and go dad you did a great job today and like immediately <laughs> I just start running through like oh, were there oh, any what topics? Are all the things I yeah. said. <laughs> I talked about that one thing. Yeah, because I've even said in the past like there are times we'll be PG-13 in there and I'm like it's an adult auditorium and yeah, now yeah. my my kids are in there. Um well, Anthony, you have something that you have that to look forward to. Your kids yeah, are young enough yeah. now. I don't think they're listening but Yeah, we we're a little ways off but Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, to the podcast, The Branch, uh, where we, Chris and Anthony and I, sit down each week. Uh, sometimes it's based on Sunday's message, and other times it's just different topics. And this week is just a different topic. Uh, so here's what I want to talk about. Um, I was initially going to try to make this kind of vague, but I realized the moment I say it, you're going to know who I'm talking about. I was going to say, I was talking to someone who's in college that calls me every day and asks me questions. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wonder who that could be. I wonder who, yeah. My, my son, Cole. Uh, so my son, Cole, uh, we talk just about every single day, FaceTime, and uh, it really is one of the joys of my life, not just talking with him. I mean, I obviously love connecting with my son, but he's in Bible college, and so he's asking Bible questions. He's, he's taking classes, mm-hmm. and he's enjoying them. And so uh, recently he was telling me about one of his classes, and, and one of the professors was talking about this idea that people would take scriptures out of context. And it's one of the our ongoing jokes. Like us three mm-hmm. will we'll talk about that. You know, the famous Jeremiah 29-11, the most out of context scripture ever. <laughs> you know, people are like, my favorite scripture. Um, and so it, it, the professor was talking to him about how people do that. And so Cole's like giving me some of the examples. And I go, man, yeah, right, spot on. Yeah. Like that's absolutely accurate. And then he also, as, as Cole continued, was talking about, and the professor was saying this about church, modern-day church, and this about modern-day church. And as Cole was talking, I let him talk for a minute, and I realized, unfortunately, his professor was doing the exact same thing that he was warning Cole about Mm -hmm. in the sense that he was giving his preference on something that the Bible doesn't really address. Mm-hmm. And and I told Cole, I said, hey, I'm not I'm not throwing shade at your professor. I don't know. Sure. I, and he, I, he sounds like a very genuine person. But I was like, you have to be careful because you will now consistently be environments where people are 
giving you their opinion, but they're almost communicating it, thus saith the Lord. Right. And, and we've seen that where I think church tradition can be that way, where yeah. uh, depending on how you're raised, you, you can be taught that this is how you do mm-hmm. church, and mm-hmm. it's not really what the Bible addresses. Okay, so here's what I want to... I want to kind of talk about this idea, because mm-hmm. for us as in church leadership, there are things that we do as a church that some people would love and some people wouldn't. There's We do stuff differently than other churches. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about this in, in the context of church. I want to talk about this in the context of life, of how we navigate the tension of what's actually a standard, what's preference, mm-hmm. um, what's good, what's bad, why we do things, what's strategic. Because I think that will help people understand, because I, I think sometimes we can confuse those things. So let me begin this. Um, why is it so easy for us to make preference something sacred? Where, especially I think even in the church world, where we would say, here's my preference, and this is the proper way to do church. You get what I'm asking? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think it goes back into, number one, we, we've talked about this before, right? Our own biases. We actually talked about this a few weeks ago, yeah. a whole podcast on addressing our biases. So I think there's a part of that, again, that's inescapable, right? We, we grow yeah. up in an environment, especially in a faith environment that feels very precious and sacred to us and is very right. formational in our upbringing, especially today if you're a Christian and like, you know, I hold my faith as the most important thing in my life. Well, you're, the early ways that you're formed are going to very much still you know, shape you in the way that you think about those things. So number one, I think there's that. I think the other part of it is people don't maybe have a a broader framework to even work from. So it's like, if you've only ever known one thing, it's like, I haven't even been exposed to this. There's a level of ignorance to it where it's like, I don't, I didn't even know there was another option. I didn't know there was another way to think about this. I thought this way was the way, or this was the Mm -hmm. way church was supposed to be done. So I think those are two things uh, that are working. And then I think to your specific question about preferences, Again, we, we live in a culture where we make decisions based on how it's how it works for us, right? And so there's another right, element yeah. of just the kind of individualism that, again, we talk about all the time is pervasive in our culture, and it informs our decisions, it informs uh, what we chase after, what we pursue. And so uh, you have the concept of church hopping, right? People go around uh, from church to church. And if you really even get to the bottom of that, if you were to ask most people, it's it's like, what are you, what are you looking for? Most of them are not, it's not like necessarily just a theological or doctrinal framework that they're checking boxes. It's right. like, I like the music here, or this, you know, this church is too loud, or this church is too traditional. Yeah. I mean, that's the conversation you're going to have with most people. And so there is just even a personal inclination of, hey, I'm going to go to the thing that I personal like that personally appeals to me. You know, if yeah. I if you like to sing hymns, you're going to try to find a church that sings hymns. Mm-hmm. If you like more modern types of music, you're going to look for a church that has more modern types of music. I think that's just part of what it means to be human. And also, I think it's a part of just our, our greater and broader culture. Yeah, I grew up in a Lutheran church that um, that I would say was was never arrogant in the way that it like presented itself. And it was never like, this is the only way to do church, but there was never a presentation of the other ways. And so you mentioned something about, um, ignorance in that. I think that's part of it, but like there, there's just no, I never was taught that there's different ways to think about things. Mm -hmm, And so, um, and I think this is pretty common because we want with churches in, in the past is, we want so badly to train and, and disciple our people. I think at times what it's led to is the way we do it is the way to do it. And it's mm-hmm. the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. And and what I think you see more and what I love about like our context and what we do is like we try to explore and see what are the different ways 
that faith has been expressed in, in all of these different environments. And, and it's been super helpful to, to think about things in different ways. I know just as I grew up, like I went from a Lutheran church to a Methodist youth group to a Quaker school to, and, and I, I grew up in a Catholic. Sounds like a great party. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in a, I grew up going to Catholic elementary school. And so like, Man. I've got this diverse background yeah. of, of ways in which God was worshiped and thought about. Yeah. And, and so like, I very much value that because mm-hmm. it did allow me to go, there are different ways of thinking about this, but at the same time, not always are the right way, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, but the yeah. ability to at least know just because my pastor says on Sunday morning, there might be a different way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we, we've talked about this before. You were raised in a more liturgical environment, yeah, and yeah. you you still celebrate it in yeah. the sense of you appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even right now, you're more dressed up than, than we are, so <laughs> you really are representing the Lutheran yeah. way way better, Chris. That was intentional. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, so that's something that registers with you. I was not raised at all yeah. in that environment. I'm not anti that, but it doesn't have the same emotional response to me. Sure. In the sense of like, even when people will talk about, they'll talk about hymns. I was not raised in a church that sang hymns. Yeah. So from I, I'm familiar with, I would say like the ultra popular ones, Amazing Grace and ones like that. Um, but the rest of the ones I, I'm not familiar with. So when, when I sing hymns, it honestly, I find them distracting because I don't, there, it's oftentimes old English. It's weird uh, rhythms to it, and so it to me, it's just distracting. Well, there's no sentimental connection to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we can confuse the truths of faith with the things that are sentimental to us, and I think that that creates tension. Yeah, a problem. I would. Yeah, I would use the word like vehicle. You know, like the vehicle that we use. Like there are some things, and, and maybe we'll get to that. That we would say, hey, the, these are sacred in the mm-hmm. sense that. Um, we don't want to lose this, and, and all yeah. churches should incorporate these elements into their worship services and into the life of their church. But I think that is the thing. So, for example, you have, since we're on that topic of hymns, you'll have people that will talk about hymns as if if you're not using hymns in your church, you're, you're committing some sort of grave sin, right? right? You're, you're not being biblical. I mean, that's the type of attitude that you yeah. will often get. But what we're doing is we're confusing vehicles in the sense that uh, we're saying this is the only vehicle that you can use to worship God rather right, yeah. than saying, no, there's actually other ways to do that where other people might have a, a deeper emotional connection. Now, even on that topic, you're going to have pushback. There, there are some camps of Christians out there that would say they almost devalue like the role of emotions. They, they devalue sure. a whole yeah. side of it to where it's almost this strictly logical or intellectual approach to faith. So there's even that whole side of it where, mm-hmm. you know, you might say like, I, I don't resonate. And they would say, well, that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. your, your feelings about it, it's about the truth. And, and so you have that, you have both sides that will kind of lob these grenades back and forth. Even the concept of you know, the Catholic Church would say, like, what we do as a church, there's so many things that, that are missing. And then we would, a lot of evangelicals would say the things that the Catholic Church are doing, <laughs> they're, right. they're wrong, things, these sure, yeah. meaningless traditions. And, and so you have that. It's, it really is a give and take. I think the question is, yeah, how do you get to a place where you are, you are aware, again, going back to the conversation of our own biases, you're aware of how your upbringing and your church experiences have mm-hmm. shaped you, um, while still trying to be curious enough to say, hey, maybe there is some, some richness to some of these things right. that other churches do that we could um, find value in and, and actually yeah. add benefit to our own uh, spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think one of the, the tensions that you have is every generation that changes a previous generation, that previous generation sees that as compromise. Mm-hmm. So like if you're changing mm-hmm. my way of preaching, my way of worship, mm-hmm. then you're compromising it. So the sure. generation that was at one point embracing hymns 
it's because that connected to them. That was their music, their songs. So that next generation is compromising. The tension that we have in Scripture is a lot of what's in Scripture, even about the church, the early church, is descriptive, not prescriptive. Mm -hmm. So like one of the things you'll even hear, I think, I've heard enough, I assume you guys have too, is people will oftentimes point to Acts chapter 2 as the standard of this is what Mm -hmm. church should be, Mm -hmm. where, and it does describe it in a lot of beautiful terms, that Mm -hmm. they were meeting consistently together, they were meeting in each other's homes, praying, studying the teaching, even selling the possessions to give to those who had need. People are like, oh man, see, that's how church should be. And you go, okay, but that was descriptive, Mm -hmm. not prescriptive, because in that same church, just like go down a couple more chapters... And there's like some brokenness, some dysfunction, right. some some systems that we're lacking. Mm-hmm. So when we look at this, what is what would you guys say? Like we're not going to solve this right now, but what would you guys say <laughs> are the keys that are are prescriptive in the scriptures about what church should be? Because I think people need to understand a lot of what churches do today is strategic, but it's it's strategic, but that can constantly change. Yeah. A strategy that works today might not work tomorrow. But there are some things that we're just trying to consistently have because the Bible tells us this is what you should be doing. I would say it, it always starts and is rooted in the witness of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, um, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And and so like you, th- those are key things. And then you branch into, I think you, you get that prescri- prescriptive element of you need to be connected to God. So prayer, worship. Mm-hmm. Um, generosity, like all those things that you read, like right. that you talked about that the early church had, those are, those are key principles to the worship of Christ. Right. What changes is the way that you do those mm-hmm. things. And, and, and so like, what does generosity look like? Does that mean that we're all going to sell our houses and move <laughs> to a camp outside of town, right. which is what the early church did. Right. I don't think that that's the culture we live in. I don't know right. that that's the call on our lives. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, <laughs> If we actually lived out Acts chapter two as if it was prescriptive, we would be probably labeled a cult. Yeah, yeah. At this yeah. Point, we're gonna know. all live in a commune together. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, but but you do see those principles of like worship is important, the mm-hmm. word of yeah. God is important, like all of these things being rooted around and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and like I think those are the prescriptive things that you see, mm-hmm. and it leaves a lot of room for going. This is how our culture might engage worship. So this yeah. is what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's a reason why scripture in this topic, it, it's like it's specific enough, but it's also vague enough, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense mm-hmm. that you you do have a general framework, even even in the things that are descriptive, like you mentioned, you're right, it, it doesn't say, you know, all churches everywhere need to do these things. But there is an element where you say, well, if the early Christians were devoting themselves, because that's the word it uses in Acts 2, they devoted right. themselves to these things. If, if they saw it as important to be devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, which would be like equivalent to our New Testament today, right. um, but they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You, you see worship, you see generosity, as you guys mentioned. You see all these things that says, you know, people were being uh, added to their number day by day. People were being saved. Right. People were being baptized. And so you, you look at even our church, you're going to see almost every single one of those elements, right? And, mm-hmm. and again, mm-hmm. to your point, Chris, It may not look exactly like it looked 2,000 years ago in the first century church, but these elements are are sacred, they are important, and they ultimately show up really throughout church history uh, yeah. in some way, shape, or form. These are these are the same things. And so again, that's where the that's where the difficulty lies, is where we say, okay, these things are are crucial, these things are important. So even things like baptism and, and the Lord's Supper, taking communion together, well, these are things that those were instituted actually by Jesus Himself. Mm-hmm. 
but the early church practiced them. It was a part of the church growth mm-hmm. in the book of Acts. And so we want to say, yeah, these are important. We want to do these things. We should be doing these things as the church. But I think the difficulty gets into the territory of, well, well, you have to do it this way, right? right. You have to do mm-hmm. it. So we're talking about worship or whatever, or talking about generosity or and we start to then put certain boxes around that and say, well, this is exactly how it needs mm-hmm. to look. And that's where I would say, if we're, if we're being honest, number one, Scripture isn't oftentimes prescriptive about the details of those things. But more than that, there has not always been a common consensus throughout church history. So even for the churches who are more liturgical or based on tradition, there have been debates. Chris, we've talked about this a lot. There, there's debates throughout church history mm-hmm. on many of these topics and the practices in the churches. So if we're going to be intellectually honest, we have to at least be able to yeah. say these have not always been agreed upon, even though these elements, I, I would say, if you, as you look throughout church history for 2,000 years, starting with the book of Acts, starting in the New Testament, these elements are there, but how they've been perceived and even what some of these elements mean mm-hmm. have, have been different from mm-hmm. denomination to dom- denomination. You're raised Lutheran. What what are the the sacred parts, um, or, or even what they would call sacraments? Sure. Uh, I mean, I know the obvious ones, but there might be some that I, I'm not aware of. Um, uh, you, man, I, I'm, I'm going to be a bad Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be baptism, communion, and I believe the other one was um, oh, there's there's three in Lutheranism as opposed to the seven seven, seven in, in Catholic, Catholic Church. Yeah, in the Catholic Church, even Nazarene churches are. Are, a lot of Nazarene churches are three. It's foot washing. Um, I might be getting that wrong, actually. It might, it might not be Nazarene, but it, oh. a lot of them are foot washing, as mm-hmm. they call that the third sacrament. So they actually yeah. practice that. The 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 other one is, um, I think it's catechism. Like I, I want to say, it's like the the entrance into the church. Like okay. So I think those were the three. And, and I might be wrong about that last one. So I'm a terrible Lutheran. <laughs> yeah. You just you lost all your credibility with yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. You know, the reason why I say that is it's interesting of how, like, so it might be foot washing in one, it might be catechism in another. But I would say most denominations would agree that um, baptism and communion are yeah. still sacraments. Mm-hmm. And you think about it, of all the complexity of modern-day church, those are the two things, really the only two things that we would say are universal sacraments. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just interesting to me because there's so many people that want to say, well, this is how you should sing and this is how you should preach and this is how you should do that. But, Mm -hmm. but there's really only a couple of things that we would say, well, these are are the sacred things. But I would say with, with teaching, you know, one of the things that's interesting, my, my grandfather told me, he said, uh, it was interesting to him that when Billy Graham became popular, how many pastors began to preach like Billy Graham. <laughs> and uh, he said, like, physically you could see it. I mean, from, like, holding the side of the pulpit, mm-hmm. which nowadays most churches don't even have pulpits, but pulpit, and they would have, like, the one hand going. And if yeah. you see, like, the famous videos of of him. And then I would say, like, in my generation, it moved away to more, I would say, heavily influenced by, like, an Andy Stanley. Mm-hmm. That, that's a table. That's what we're influenced by. But what's interesting is the the delivery system does change. The, the way that you speak changes, the way that you communicate changes, and I don't think that's bad. Sure. Right. I, I really do think that's strategic. And, and I think if you continue to communicate a way a previous generation did, and it doesn't relate to the next generation, I actually think you're doing a disservice. 100%. And so many people, I think, would look at it and they think, like, no, we have, you have to stay true. And it's like, I don't think you do stay true to methods that no longer work. It, it's just the, it's the reality of contextualization, right? Yeah. In the sense that... 
when, when a missionary goes, uh, you know, cross seas, when, when a missionary is going to some country in Asia or Africa, and they're going to plan to, you know, put roots down there, a huge part of their efforts is going to be learning the culture right. because they're, they're not going to be able to, and, and of course the language, right? That's a right. given. Like I've, yeah. I've joked about this whole conversation where it's like, you can be preaching. If you go to Mexico, you can be preaching the gospel in English and you can be biblically accurate and nobody's going to understand what you're saying because you're not preaching yeah. in their language. And so there is always going to be an element of contextualization, yeah. not only from the language barrier, but there's a cultural barrier. And I know one of the things we talked about is Christianity is unique in that it it does take the form of the culture. Now, we need to be careful in what we mean or what we uh, are really describing when we say that, because oftentimes when we do talk about culture, we talk about it in negative terms, right. but but not all of culture is negative, and, and culture is simply the way that we do things, the way that yeah. the norms, the customs, the way that we operate, um, even, you know, social elements to that, things that we understand that 100 years from now people might not understand because they weren't in the culture. So there's an element of contextualization in that as well. So the idea of, of you know, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, uh, what does that look like? How do you communicate? How do you build bridges so that these people can understand it in a way that makes sense to them? Right. It's not that you're changing the message. You're not, you know, as some would accuse people of doing, watering it down. Yeah. It's finding way, it's finding connection points, right? So that you can get yeah. them to understand. And this is what any good missionary would do. I mean, if they're not willing to do that, they will never be successful in their missionary efforts. Right. Right. And I think that's where we we have to be careful not to over-spiritualize, to, to act as if the Holy Spirit doesn't work within these ways, because he does. I mean, this has been, again, looking at Christian history, this is how God has always worked in that you know, he embodies truth in these cultures in a way that people can understand it. And mm -hmm. I think we have to have that same mindset even in the modern church. Well, and I think even coming to the understanding that we ourselves are contextualized, right? We, we are enculturated. Like yep. we, we learn the way that the culture's taught us to learn. We yeah. like, we process the way culture's taught, teaches us to be, pro to process. Mm -hmm. And so when we're not aware of that, we, we can easily go like that, that way is not going to, that's, unfaithful to sure. it because that's not the way that we've always done it. Yeah. But when we realize that we ourselves think this way, so like I grew up in the age of television, like television was a key part of our home growing up. So my brain thinks differently because I learned communication through the medium of television. Mm -hmm. Right. So now for somebody to stand up and talk for two hours, when I'm used to having a break every 10, seven, seven and a half, 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> right yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a way that I, I would lose someone if I mm -hmm. communicated for two hours straight because mm -hmm. their mind's not shaped to work that way. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And so like having that understanding of the, the, the message is meant to be contextualized. Mm -hmm. We think in a certain way. So we need to, we need to think about those things when we're communicating, when we're designing worship, it's building those bridges right. and understanding that, that we need those bridges. Bridges built that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, years ago, uh, there was some some people from another more traditional church that came and met with me, and I think you've you've heard this story before. But uh, they came and met with me, and they were just curious about how we did things, and I was showing them around. It was it was actually during an evening thing where we had children and youth that were going on, and uh, and so I showed them. This is in our old building, but I showed them uh, through uh, the one space that was our coffee shop venue, and uh, so there's a coffee shop there, and they were like, "You guys have a coffee shop." And I, I said, yep. And they said, like, people get coffee on Sunday? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, well, how do they hold the hymnals? And like, that, <laughs> I remember like, when they said it to me, I was like, oh, man, where do I begin with this one? Because they, they just couldn't, their minds, 
could not fathom that you would bring coffee into, in their mind, they would use the term sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. We called it auditorium because the room itself is not sacred, right? right it's just right. a room. But they, in their minds, you wouldn't bring coffee into the, the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And then you had to hold a hymnal and we don't sing hymns. And I'm like, and even if we did sing hymns, it would be on the screen. And it was like, I just realized like, man, we are not speaking the same language. The, the problem could be is, you know, they could look at our, what we, our environment, they could look at it and say, that's wrong. And, and that's a tension that we've had in the past mm-hmm. where people have looked at some of our things. And I'm going to name a couple of them, and I want you guys just to help me explain why we do it the, the way that we do it. Um, but, like, we've had people look at the fact that we don't have crosses everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, specifically, like, like a steeple and a cross mm-hmm. when, we, when we did construction of this building. Um, we don't have crosses. Uh, really, we don't use it as decoration, you right. know, and that's what people want. Um, we don't have... Uh, an American flag on our stage. We've had people criticize that. Not very many. I, we had a couple of criticisms of mm-hmm. that. One. That's that was kind of an extreme one. Um, we have lights, like moving lights on Sunday, mm-hmm. and uh, and for some they're like, whoa, is, you know, is that a sh- is that just being showy? Is that distracting? Okay, let's start talking about a few of those things. And the reason why I want to do it is I want people to understand the heart behind it because. Mm-hmm. The Bible does not address any of those things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The Bible does not talk about coffee in the sanctuary. The Bible does not talk about lighting. The Bible does not talk about using crosses as a form of decoration. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So when we have these things, some people could look at it and say it's a negative. Why do we have these things? So you pick one, and then you pick one, and then I'll I'll pick one. (laughs) I'll I'll pick the American flag one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You pick the easy one. Great, great. The American flag one really is, is while... While patriotism and, and faith really have tied each other, tied themselves to each other in the past, that it, our conviction in that is that it that they're two separate things. And right. and mm-hmm. while it's not wrong to be a good American, it's not wrong to be patriotic and love your country. Um, the the church is a place of developing faith, and it's a developing faith and loyalty in Jesus Christ. Um, while it's not in Scripture, what is in Scripture is the the concept of not not um, buying loyalty into two, not having a divided heart yeah. and not buying loyalty into two different things. And so, um, so while, while you should be a good civilian and a good citizen as a, as an, um, as a Christian in America, your loyalties to Christ come first and that those set the precedent. So that's, that's why we don't have. Yeah. So we're in an environment that consistently preaches what Jesus said of to come after me is to take up your cross daily yeah. and follow me. We do see a tension, if we're being honest, we do yeah. see a tension with pledging yourself to America over mm-hmm. pledging yourself to Christ. Mm-hmm. It is it is the the pledging to Christ that should supersede all other things. Yes. Yep. But we would also go further and say, but if you love America, the greatest thing you can do for America is to love Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Serve Christ, love Christ. That's what America needs more mm-hmm. of. But yeah, so for us it would have been it would be a compromise to us mm-hmm. to mix those two in in a what we would then say is a sacred space because of what we're called to do. Right. Yeah, and, and even more than that, right, yeah, the, the Church of Jesus Christ transcends, you know, political and national boundaries in the sense that, right. that we're all a part of, of the kingdom of God. And so our brothers and sisters in Christ from Mexico and other places in Europe and Africa, like, we are we are bound together more so than by, by national 
uh, boundaries. And, and I think that's another thing that differs a lot of times with patriotism. You, I mean, you used to hear people say Americans first, and it's like, that should never be the mindset of a Christ follower, right? right? right it's actually, right. it's Christ first, Christ kingdom first. Um, I, I would say, so one of them, uh, and we had briefly talked about this in even just kind of addressing what we might talk about today was, was the lights. And so um, this is, I think this is actually a fairly common one where people who yeah. come from more traditional liturgical backgrounds will immediately villainize lights. Um, and, and I would just say, first and foremost, there's We're nothing... stage lighting. Yeah, stage yeah. lighting. Uh, there's nothing inherently um, evil or good about lights, right? right? In the sense that it's it's really not a moral issue. <laughs> yeah. um, and as you said, scripture doesn't address that. But but what we would acknowledge is we are sensory people in, in that we have senses, we engage with our senses... And so uh, creating environments, you know, one of the examples I gave is it's the reason why like the Catholic Church and other denominations will use incense and things. It's it's to engage our senses. And from generations past, they did this differently because they didn't have LED lighting at their right. disposal, but they did have things like stained glass windows and they built massive cathedrals with yeah. elaborate architecture for the same concept to uh, yeah. indulge the senses, if you will. When a person walked in, there was something different about that space and there's something different about that atmosphere. I think a lot of times where where people will uh, push up against it is they will kind of tie it in with entertainment-driven culture, mm -hmm. or it looks like a concert. I mean, that's language people will use all the right. time. It's like a, a rock concert or going to a concert. But again, I think we have to step back and say, uh, are we number one? Are we enslaved to this, or is this simply a method that we've chosen to use mm -hmm. uh, to kind of create a certain atmosphere in this environment? Um, or is this, you know, just is this a, a means to an end or is this an end in and of itself? Are we trying to imitate a Taylor Swift concert? Is that really right. the heart behind this? But I think we have to always be willing to step back and say people have always indulged in their senses in that that's how we are as human beings. It's, mm -hmm. We use our senses to do these things. There's nothing inherently wrong or sinful about doing that during a worship service. On the contrary, it could actually it could do the opposite. It can actually draw us closer and, and put our mindset in a different way that prepares us to be able to mm -hmm. listen, to focus, mm -hmm. to worship, to reflect, all of those things. And that's how the church has always viewed it. It's just done it in different ways um, through different mediums throughout the centuries. Uh, but it's always used art. Art has been one of them. And so yeah. we would say yeah. the current landscape of, of art is through using media. It's through right. using certain types of music. It's through using lights. That is mm -hmm. our current cultural place. 400 years ago, it looked different. And so the mm -hmm. church looked different. Yeah, and, and one of the the things you said, you know, so people will say, well, it's just being a concert, to which I would respond, okay, but what's wrong about that? Mm -hmm. in, in the sense of it, I think we oftentimes, if we can use our own condescending language or language that has a negative connotation to it, we feel like that in and of itself determines if something is right or wrong. Yeah. And it's not. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think there are just times we have to stop and go, we need to understand the difference between is there something a biblical standard versus is this simply a preference or is this also just a strategy? Because it can mm -hmm. be one of those three things. If, yeah. if there's a set standard, then that's what you have to determine right or wrong on, mm -hmm. obviously. Sure. But then we also need to know that in each environment, in each church, there's a preference. There's a We prefer this way. And oftentimes yep. preference is probably based on the, the age and personality of leadership. I mean, mm -hmm. that's just a given. Uh, but then there's also a strategy. So for us, even some of our, what we do is not my preference mm -hmm. because I'm getting older. I'm, I'm in my <laughs> mid forties now. And so it's not my preference, but it's still my strategy. It's our sure. strategy where we're going, we are absolutely unapologetically trying to reach a younger generation as a church because we want, we want our ministry to continue to be effective. Well, in order to do that, we have to be strategic 
with the preference of mm-hmm. a younger generation sure, right. that we then believe aligns with a biblical standard, where it's not compromising it. Right. And, and that's a challenge to do. That's Absolutely. that's the important distinction, though, what you just said, because I think some people would would prematurely say, "Well, look, you're compromising, right?" And that and right. that where they would say we are compromising, or any given church that does those things is compromising. Again, I would say goes back to more contextualization, which mm-hmm. is actually a wise thing because it's the realization that culture does change, the landscape of culture changes, preferences change, and so mm-hmm. in a very real way, we are always going to be speaking the language of the culture because there is nothing inherently, again, good or evil about certain preference over the other, other than one might be more effective than the other. Yeah. And as a church, yeah. if we're trying to be more effective in our engagement with the culture um, without compromising truth, which is, I think, the importance of the distinction. And and if I can just speak briefly, I mean, when Makara and I came, so it's it's been going on probably close to a year now, I think we came end of February, early March, um, our first Sunday here, up until that point, I had seen a lot of like bigger churches that that would be similar in style to this church. A lot of churches oftentimes did dumb down the message. And, and to me, someone who loves scripture, loves talking mm. about theology and doctrine, that was always a disappointment for me because it's like, man, it really does feel like a TED talk and we're not really engaging right. deep with the scriptures. One of the most amazing things to me coming here was that it was it was the blending of both worlds in mm. that you have this high excellence in everything that we do. Um, you have this modern form of worship, even just the way things look, the way that the building looks, all of that stuff is, is speaking our language, so to speak. But your teaching, and, and I, I keep joking about this, but the fact that you and Mary spent 15 minutes talking about basically church membership, I was like, yeah. well, this is very interesting because you often don't see the blending of those right. two worlds where yeah. you're, you're fighting for depth and, and being serious in biblical teaching in discipleship, while also still having these other blends of, uh, you know, cultural engagement in the way that we do things. And so that to us was actually very impressive because it's, it's not common. But I think too often what people will do is they'll see lights, they'll see a fog machine, and they will auto- automatically make a judgment without really critically engaging. Well, what, what's going on in that church? And right. um, why are they choosing to do some of these things? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, we purposely like even dress casual. Mm-hmm. Uh, like on Sundays and stuff. And I know we had someone years ago tell me that they're like, yeah, people left because you wore jeans on Sunday, like talking to me. <laughs> and uh, and I thought, oh, how disappointing is that? You yeah. know, that someone yeah. had made dress a sacred thing. Because we're not talking even modesty or something mm-hmm. like that. Right, right. There, there was this personal style. And, and I thought, well, that's a bummer. But also at that point, then you're not our target audience. Because mm-hmm. our target audience is we're just trying to create an environment that people who are unchurched when they come in here we can remove all of the hurdles and unnecessary distractions so that they can feel for, like mm-hmm. it can be familiar to them and they can feel comfortable to them. Mm-hmm. So even how we dress, like we want, I, I think there is a uh, our environment, like what you just said was, is, uh, was super encouraging to me when you told me that mm-hmm. when you came to our church, because I thought what you experienced summarizes how I feel and like the strategy I want mm-hmm. in that like I want people to be able to laugh. So like we use humor when we're teaching and stuff. But I want there to be such a depth of the depth depth of theology, mm-hmm. but yet in such a way that they can understand and apply it to their lives. And so, mm-hmm. like with that, like we're going to have humor, but we're going to have serious moments. We're going to have things of reflection, but we're also going to have high energy things. Mm-hmm. And like and our environment, we want it to be when you come in to look at it and go, oh, this looks like a hotel lobby, or this looks like a mm-hmm. mall, because I want you to be comfortable. Versus like, I just went back to the church that Mary grew up in. Beautiful building. You, Chris came to the funeral yeah. too. I mean, beautiful yeah. building. Uh, funeral for uh, Mary's mother passed away. Um, 
But that building was built in 1986, I think. Yeah. And I don't think it's been changed yeah. since then. Looks, looks like <laughs> so it. Looks yeah, like it. Looks like yeah. I mean, yeah, big, gorgeous building. I mean, this building is uh, 10 times the size of ours. I mean, it's a huge building. Yeah. Um, but it hasn't been changed. And I thought, you know, like, that's the tension of it is, like, if you have these environments that the environment itself becomes so sacred and you don't change anything, then there's a generation that comes in and just goes, mm-hmm. I, I don't relate to this. Yeah. I, I don't understand this. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the critique is like you're adopting the ways of culture when you're right. doing these things. But w- what I would push back on that is, is like, I think that culture, culture has done a great job, if for nothing else, of understanding the human, like a human being and how we think and how we act. So they understand our needs. They understand it's why advertisements work. It's why, mm-hmm. it's why when you go to a Taylor Swift concert, if you look across the crowd, what is everybody doing? They're standing there, they're raising their hands, they're being drawn into that moment via mm-hmm. the lights, the media, yeah. all of the things mm-hmm. you've got going on. So what they've done is the, the culture has figured out the mode and thing that stirs right. worship. Yeah. Now, what the church does when you take those things on and adopt similar strategies mm-hmm. is we are reorienting to the proper place of worship. Right. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So we're using the same tools. We understand who we are as people. We understand what's going on in the culture right now. But what we're doing is we're taking and we're reorienting it fr- away from the idolatry of, mm-hmm. of a person or of a thing mm-hmm. and reorient it towards the person and, and, and work of Jesus Christ. And, yeah. and like... How how is that a negative thing? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So let's let's talk about it. if someone were to say, okay, but how how do you keep that in check? Sure. How, how for us as a church, how, how do we make sure that we're not compromising? And or are there churches, and we don't need to name it by name or anything sure. like that, but are there churches that we would say, you know, some of the things that are a part of modern day church has gone too far. It's gone too far, and but why? If, if we do think so, why? What, what is the scriptural standard that we're using? Can you guys speak to that at all? So I would say one of them would just be like the general entertainment culture that sometimes comes around some of the bigger modern churches today. Um, I think there is something troubling about the concept of, of entertaining people for the sake of entertaining people. Um, because I think that's where you oftentimes can compromise. And the reason why I think you can compromise that is there are certain things that in Christianity are are not popular concepts in culture. <laughs> and so if yeah. your ultimate goal is to entertain people or, or is solely to make people laugh, and I'm and I'm with you, like in the sense of you know, humor, humor can actually be used as a very powerful thing. Number one, God is not against humor. Um, like there is something enjoyable about laughter. Everyone would agree on that. So there's nothing inherently wrong in that. But I would say if if your entire goal as a pastor is to get up every Sunday morning and to crack 37 jokes just to get everybody rolling, and that's like that's the sole goal, yeah. well, you're missing it. You're missing the purpose of what this mm-hmm. worship gathering is for. I would say the same is true for any form of entertainment. So uh, without mentioning the church, but back, I think it was this last Easter, there was a, a big, big well-known church nationally that did like a whole performance thing. And there was a lot of people that critiqued it, a lot of people that came out against it. And, and I think it was just that idea of like, the church doesn't look like the church at some point. Like we're, we're doing something completely different. The emphasis is off. The emphasis has no longer been about Jesus. It's no longer about this vehicle used to convey biblical truth for the sake of discipleship or evangelism. Mm-hmm. It's now 
its own thing. So rather than being a means to an end, it, it, it becomes the end. It becomes this idea of we're just trying to attract people because we're the church that's mm-hmm. that's doing these things. And so I think that that is problematic. I think the so other... Here, Ed, pause for yeah, a second. Go ahead. I, um, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think that is the tension that I have observed is it does feel like at times the ultimate goal is growth. And mm-hmm. when that happens, mm-hmm. your strategy changes and, and because they would say, well, growth means more people being saved. And I would say that's that fine line you got to be careful about yeah. because sometimes the strategy for growth does stand in opposition to the truths of Scripture because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being true to the Scriptures means you're going to say things that are going to go against culture, going to be politically incorrect, going to yeah. cause you not to grow, mm-hmm. uh, potentially even shrink yeah. uh, if you say certain things. And so I do agree. I, I think some of the churches that where the strategy is, let's keep creating an environment so it does become about entertaining. What What's the next big thing we can do? Um, what's the, the way we can continue to attract people and the ultimate goal is not how can we teach the word the best? How can we disciple people the mm-hmm. best? Um, because I would say it, it really is the order that you get those things in matters. Mm-hmm. If your ultimate strategy is, okay, we're going to lift Jesus high. We want to disciple people to Jesus. Now let's be strategic on how we can do this in the most uh, understandable way, the most, even I would say attractive way. That's be my term, like where mm-hmm. you can say, you know, let's do this in a way that can really connect to people um, and even elements of, of fun and, and entertainment. Sure. But again, it's all the secondary yeah, on down. Exactly. I, I think that's the key, but I, I do think it's whatever order you get that in, because the moment you put growth as the priority, mm-hmm. you start compromising. And, and I think even the language that we use there sometimes is is unbiblical. Like the concept of attraction, I would say you, you see elements of this even in the book of Acts, but the attraction is not is not through worldly means in the sense that they're, they're not trying to attract people through entertainment and then the old bait and switch evangelism tool. Right. Um, and so I think we have to even redefine what is the mission of the church. If it is to make disciples, well, that's different than just getting people in the doors. Now, that might be a component of it. Yeah. Uh, but again, we have to, to what you just said, like looking on the totem pole, if, if discipleship is number one, well, there's going to be some things that have to take a back seat to that that actually yeah. just become a hindrance and a distraction mm-hmm. from us to be able to do that well. And so that's where I think those decisions come into play is, okay, where where do we cross the line of like, okay, now let's just be honest with ourselves here. We're just doing this for the sake of, of the wow factor. We're just doing yeah. this to entertain people. We're just doing this to try to get people in the doors. And even being able to assess to say, oh, man, we're attracting tons of people, but are we discipling them well? And I've heard you talk about this even yeah. in the life of this church where you guys have had those conversations in the past to say, we're growing. That's awesome. But are people spiritually growing? Like we're growing right. numerically. Mm-hmm. Are they growing in their devotion and their obedience and their faith in Christ? Mm-hmm. If not, then what are we doing? You know, right. we're, we're losing. And that, I think, is the... Part of that is is conflating our culture's view of success, that when you have something big, when you have a lot of people at your church, well, that automatically means you're successful. And I would say, no, that doesn't mean you're automatically right. successful. Mm-hmm. It means you have a great potential opportunity there. Right. God is bringing yeah. people and, and things are happening, but what are you doing with it? Are you stewing, stewarding that opportunity well? One, one quick thing I would add to that um, with the entertainment-driven culture in church is sometimes you also have, Chris and I were just kind of spontaneously talking about this, I think it was this past Sunday morning, where people start to have almost the celebrity mindset where, you know, you view the people on stage, you view the people who are singing up there, you view the people who are speaking up there as these like celebrities. And Mm -hmm. I think that's problematic. I think we've done a great job as a church, even just having the staff out there mingling with people. There There is none of this us and them 
from a boots on the ground perspective, right. the way that you know staff treat people. But I think there are a lot of churches out there today in the United States where it's like, oh yeah, we don't ever see the pastor. He's got a security detail around him. He doesn't interact with the church. And I, to some degree, like from a logistical standpoint, I understand if you have a church of 20,000 people, that's just not realistic. But I think some of those elements are dangerous and, and have led to moral failures in church sure. leadership and that whole celebrity status. I think you have to be careful with that. And I think part of that is very much tied to the entertainment culture. It, it, it very much is, well, that's the entertainer. That's the performer. Right. He or she is the person that we're here to to see and to mm -hmm. watch. Yeah. And so I think you always have to be uh, careful about that. And I think there's, there's specific ways that you can do that. And I think our church does that well. I was going to say, start by just simply asking questions and, and ask the question, why? Why do you use lights? Why do you use this method or that method? Like, and, and if the answers aren't coming back of, well, we really have thought about this and we've prayed about it and we feel led by God to go this direction because of this reason. Like, if you're not getting those types of answers, there's a good chance that it is falling into kind of what you're talking about. Right. It, it draws a lot of people, so this is why we decided to do this. You know what I mean? And so um, I, I think that's that's a great question because without that, you really are, you're making a prejudgment, like what we've already kind of talked about. So starting with the question of, well, why do you do this and, and what, what kind of led you to do this? Because, and I keep hitting my microphone, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Alex. Um, but... If the spirit is not leading the strategies that, that we have as a, as a church, if, the, if we're not seeking after what God wants, we're not, we're not really doing the work as leaders to, yeah. to faithfully minister to our people because we, we don't understand their hearts the way that God does. We don't understand what's best for them and what's going to grow them in their relationship to God the way that God does. And so we really do have to rely on the spirit's leading for our church, for our context to um, to really know whether or not a strategy is is what's for us, or whether it's not mm -hmm. whether it's whether it's effective. Or, you know, for does sure. that make sense? Yeah, and I would say so. I 100% agree. The heart of seeking after the Holy Spirit to guide you is so critical. And I do think another part of it, we, we talk about this often, that the Holy Spirit and systems are not in, in conflict with right, each other. Right. You know, I think uh, a hyper-charismatic environment would say, if you plan too much, you're restricting the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I think those two, I think the Holy Spirit and systems and planning work mm -hmm. very well together. I think the Holy Spirit empowers those and guides them. But I think there needs to be markers that you can measure in mm -hmm. discipleship. I, this is what, so Chris is part of our uh, discipleship team. Um, but that's what we had to look at years ago was, and you referenced it earlier, mm -hmm. but we're like, we're growing. So like you could look at it from standards right. and go, we're successful, check, we're growing. But we were like, we're not sure we're making disciples. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not sure how biblically literate our people are. We're not sure how much they're actually engaging the scriptures. And so we made a dramatic pivot uh, and started implementing things. But then we were like, let's not just implement things without any measure. Let's implement things and then figure out a way, can we see if people are engaging? Are people doing devotions? Are they studying? Mm -hmm. Are they engaging? Even the content that we put out, um, what are our expectations? Are we communicating that to people? Because we don't want to put all this energy, I mean, all mm -hmm. this time, money, resources right. into something. And we also, the accountability side of it, I don't want to get to heaven and, and plead ignorance to God. Uh, right. He's like, did you make disciples? You know, I hope so. Like, I don't <laughs> want to be that. I want sure. to be able to say, I, we did everything we could. Yeah. And so the, I, I do think we have to have that, that element where we're saying, okay, this is our strategy, but these are also going to be the markers that we can measure it to see if we're successful mm -hmm. or not. Yeah. 
Um, anything else uh, with churches that you just say, like, you know, makes you nervous? I, I read one this morning. I, I'm not going to name the church. This is on a national <laughs> paper uh, that I read, but uh, I said paper as a newspaper. Like, I, is anyone actually? I read it online. <laughs> um, but a church on Super Bowl Sunday uh, had a Bible that looked like a football, and they punted it into the crowd. And I was like, it feels a bit gimmicky to me, but yeah. well, the whole thing was gimmicky. But I thought <laughs> just in general, I would make it a policy. Don't kick the Bible. Don't kick <laughs> yeah. it into the crowd. But yeah, uh, those are the parts yeah. where you're like, oh, man. And it's a huge church. Uh, and I thought, oh, don't do that. You know, like, I don't know any context. The pastor's probably a wonderful person. But I was like, that just feels like you're asking for trouble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I would say my only, and this could very well go into a whole other conversation, maybe it's, it's time for another podcast, but um, I think even just being able to distinguish, like so much of what we've talked about today, this, what I'm about to say, I think is important to the conversation in that distinguishing the difference between worship and mission, right? The, the church is called to both in that the church exists for really two purposes. It's number one, exists for the worship and the glory of God as the people of God. And number two, it exists to represent and embody um, the hands and feet of Jesus and the message of Jesus in a yeah. world that is lost and dying, right? And so those are really the two sole purposes that the church exists. And so I think what has happened is we've kind of collapsed one into the other, and we've seen you know the Sunday morning worship service as the, the primary or sole means of mission. And I would say, well, if that's the case, then it's not a surprise why some churches would compromise on, mm -hmm. on elements of worship or things mm -hmm. that are unpopular or things that are hard to hear. I think we have to be able to distinguish the two of them and say, when, when we talk about mission, yes, a part of it is is being a worshiping community. Part of that is, is demonstrating that to the world, that we are a people who are unashamed to gather, to lift up our voices, to praise the name of Jesus, to pray together, to study God's word together, all of those things. But it's also the element of when we, when we leave the church, our own individual lives, where we work, where we play, all those things embodying, you know, uh, the hands and feet of Jesus in all that we do. I think that conversation is important, too, when we're, when we're talking about some of these things, some of these entertainment-driven uh, church cultures. They're, in my mind, their understanding of mission is, is deficient in that they're seeing the sole purpose of a Sunday morning mm -hmm. gathering to draw people so that they can yeah. then share the gospel rather than as, as seeing as a part of discipleship to empower their people to live on mission in their everyday lives as they encounter people that may never step through mm -hmm. the church door, no matter mm -hmm. how, how gimmicky you might have your church services. Right. So I think that that's another important element and another important distinction. That's good. Anything else, Chris? I, I was just going to say, giving churches the benefit of the doubt before yeah. making judgments. Like, I, I think that's such an important thing. You don't know what that leadership went through to come to the conclusion that they were going to do what they do. Maybe they did it for gimmick re gimmicky reasons, but at the same time, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. We should give them the benefit of the doubt. And, and if you're a part of a church that is doing things like that and you got questions, go and ask those questions and mm -hmm. ask why so sure. that you can understand their perspective, uh, how they're being led by God to, and why they're doing the things that they're doing. Um, and, and if it comes to the place where they have good reasons for why you, they're doing what they're doing and you just don't like it, have the character to just go, this might not be the place for me mm -hmm. instead of critiquing yeah, and, and, yeah. and trashing it. So, You're right. Cause so much is preference. Yeah. It, a lot of it's preference. Have to remind. Yeah. Because when you look at all the different churches in town, we all have different strategies mm -hmm. and not one's not better than the other. They're just mm -hmm. different. And, and I think people have to be comfortable with that. It's we're different. There are different churches. It's okay. So if you're at a church and like one of the things that does grieve my heart 
people don't mean it as a, a negative, but when people come to our church from another church, and initially they want to, in some ways, criticize the other church of like, well, this is what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I always was like, oh, you know what? Don't I don't need you to do that. Like yeah, that's never yeah. never honors me when people say like, oh, you guys do this better. I'm like, we do this different. Right, and right. and there might be and I always think in my mind, just wait enough time because yeah. we're gonna do something <laughs> yeah, that you don't you're like, not gonna like <laughs> yeah, at yeah. some point. Yeah. Uh but yeah, give churches a benefit of the doubt, give pastors a benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. That's good. Well, thank you guys so much for the discussion. Thank you for joining us. And uh, always, if this is a blessing to you, share it with others. And uh, we love you guys. We're so proud of you. And we can't wait to see you on Sunday. God bless.